Slidell, this is my associate, Bob Porter. Oh, hi, Bob. Bob? Pretty much, go ahead and grab a seat and join us for a minute or two. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just, we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So, if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door, that way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell but, uh, space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. 15 minutes of real work. Ugh, that movie is such a classic, isn't it? Yeah, sure is, of course. That's a scene from Office Space, a 1999 comedy that showcases the life of Ron Livingston's character, Peter, as he navigates what it's like to work at this fictional IT company, Intertrode. Uh, that's in attack, Michael. Uh, whatever. Still, anyway, it's a classic movie. And so, Mike, is today's episode about classic 90s comedies? We're going to cut to, what, American Pie next? No, no, but maybe we should do that sometime. That is another great late 90s movie. But no, in today's episode, we're going to talk about office life, which, of course, has changed a whole lot since COVID-19 struck back in 2020. Yeah, we've seen headlines in the news proclaiming that tech giants, they're embracing remote work. Yeah, we've also seen headlines, tech CEOs fall out of love with work from home. And yes, those two are actual news headlines that we've seen in the past few years. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's get into it all right after we roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. All right, before we get into it all, let's just take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com that's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond 
at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. There's no doubt that the first half of 2020 was just a mess, right? <laughs> the COVID-19 global pandemic was kicking off. Gosh, I remember that all too well. Yeah, weren't you in Dublin when the world pretty much closed down? Yeah, sure was. We were holding our European edition of Industry, the product conference. It was March 9th through 11th, 2020 in Dublin, Ireland. And yeah, I mean, that day, our conference ended was pretty much the day that everything closed down. I remember flying back the next morning and just thinking about how much the world was likely about to change. At that point, nobody really knew what would happen. At, at first, offices told their staff to stay home a couple days. Then a couple days went by and it started turning into a couple weeks. And then before too long, companies were realizing that the pandemic was raging on and no known vaccines were available and there wasn't going to be a return to office anytime soon. So everyone went remote because they had to. Yes, of course, some companies already were remote. In fact, I think back then you were, were you at Dribble at the time? I, I, Dribble was pretty much always a remote company, right? Yeah, we were always fully remote. We were really used to working in that capacity. So for companies like ours, honestly, not a whole lot changed, really, at least not in terms of the way that we work. But that definitely wasn't the case for most companies. Most seemed, honestly, totally unprepared. Yeah, for sure. In fact, let's cut to this segment from CBC News. It may look like March break started early, but this BC tech company is actually near full force. Most of the staff are working from home. We all carry a bit of a, a responsibility to make sure that we're not part of this virus spreading faster. Message out to Greg Malpass told about a thousand workers to stay away as a precaution against COVID-19. Instead, they're using video conferencing and other technology to remain connected. His firm is following in the footsteps of Silicon Valley giants like Google, Apple and Facebook, all suggesting employees work from home. Canadian e-commerce company Shopify is the latest, directing 5,000 staff to work remotely as of next week, canceling business trips and conferences. Yeah, canceling their attendance at conferences, which as a conference organizer, mm. that was not my favorite thing about the pandemic, of course. <laughs> Thankfully, conferences are back. In fact, Industry the Product Conference coming up October 2nd through the 4th. I mean, that's like a couple days away. But anyway, back to the episode. Yeah, but think about that. They said that Shopify had over 5,000 employees. That's not a small company. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, Product Collective, we've been remote since before COVID too, but we're a very, very small company. It's easy for me to say that a company could just, you know, go remote and when an employee needs to work from home on a one-off basis, it's not such a big deal. But for a company that's as big as Shopify or even larger companies to have everybody go fully remote, that's not a small feat. No, and look, most tech companies, in a way, they were lucky to be able to even do that kind of thing in the first place. Look, healthcare workers, first responders, they never had a choice. There wasn't an option for them to work remotely. But yeah, tech workers who spent all day on their phones and their laptops, they at least had the opportunity, even if it's not so easy to spin up an entire organization in a uniform way. And for those that were able to make it work early on, it really became a competitive advantage. In fact, let's cut to this Yahoo Finance segment with Brian Chesky, CEO of Airbnb. 
which in Chesky's opinion, the work from home trend it's actually a really important trend, so much that Airbnb proclaimed early on that they would go remote forever. Really, really um, important trend for the world because I think it provides economic opportunity because not everyone could move to San Francisco, you know, and so where our headquarters is. And so I think this is just uh, you kind of democratize a lot of opportunities around the country for a lot of op- for a lot of jobs. So I think it's a very exciting opportunity for us. Well, that was Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky speaking to me earlier this year about the future of work. Now the vacation rental company says their employees can work remotely forever. Brian Sazi here to talk about it with me. (laughs) 6,000 employees is what we're talking about who can work anywhere. And that includes outside of the country. Um, I think it's interesting that Airbnb is doing this largely because they have been big beneficiaries of the work from home movement. It's what they do. And look, Brian Chesky has been out on the road. I've been following him on Instagram and Twitter. He's been staying, working from uh, really all over the world over the past few months. It's been interesting to watch his feeds. What I do like at Kiko, they are not lowering uh, uh, pay for workers if they move to another location. I think it was Meta last year. They said, well, if you're going to move to another location, we're going to take some money away from you. Chesky is really, I think, stepping up here and setting a tone. Now, all that said, this is a completely different thing compared to folks on Wall Street. I was talking to a couple bankers last night. They're back at the grind. They're back in the office every single day, and they have been for months on end. So it's real... Tech is doing its one thing here, and you have Wall Street and then the world of finance doing something else entirely. And you talk about the pay implications. It's been different from one tech company to another. What I think is interesting about Airbnb is that they're actually creating a team to help employees navigate tax implications. So let's say you were working in San Francisco before. You decide you want to work outside of the country, let's say in a place like Barcelona, which you can also consult within the company to see, well, what are my implications on that front? So that's going to be really interesting to see where people end up among the 6,000 employees. I don't know about you. I would, I would, straight, I would go straight abroad because why not if you can work that way? Well- So maybe there are tax implications to figure out, but Airbnb wants to make it work for their employees, even those that want to go work abroad. But that's a good example of one challenge that companies face when they take on this all remote stance. Yes, there are benefits. They can likely compete for talent against other companies that are requiring you to come to the office. The all remote company may seem more attractive, but what are the tax implications? There's something that needs to be figured out. Yeah, and there are a lot of other challenges too. Like for instance, security and privacy, especially for those companies where that's a really important factor. Peter Kosmala, instructor and program advisory council member for the School of Continuing Studies Certificate in Information Privacy at York University. He discusses that more detail right here. COVID has very deep privacy and security ramifications. And I think that all of us, you know, in our personal lives and our working lives are familiar with privacy to a certain degree as an issue or have been up till this point. But COVID, as I think it's done with a number of things, has really accelerated a lot of this uh, concern and awareness. Um, first of all, for those people working remotely, and that's pretty much everybody, you know, it's brought a, an office environment into the home. And while many people have perhaps worked virtually before or worked remotely or traveled, and they're accustomed to doing work things, this has really fused the two worlds in a more intrinsic and, and intertwined way where it's a hybrid. It's like work life or life work. and the You know, the concern is that, um, first of all, we're opening our personal environments, our homes, our children, if we have them, you know, our belongings, our activities to the working context. So people are having a visibility into a realm that perhaps otherwise may not have had. 
Um, the other thing is that, you know, workers are handling potentially sensitive data, sensitive material, whether that relates to people or individuals or the company, you know, patents, proprietary information. And they have to think of it on a new level of scrutiny that they probably didn't have to before when they were in the office and these sorts of things were taken care of. So it's just raised that level of awareness about what am I doing with data? Are the, are the devices and computers uh, that I'm using sufficiently protected? Um, am I vulnerable to any kind of compromise or attack? Are hackers that going to come after me now? Because there's evidence that this is happening with even greater scrutiny. And um, how can I protect my own personal realm and still maintain this sort of safe and sensible and responsible balance or separation between my personal life and my working life? This, these are things that privacy professionals um, wrestle with every day as issues because they're tasked with, with protecting personal information in their organizations in, in creating awareness among fellow employees and the clients and vendors that they serve and work with. Um, and privacy is an issue that impacts us all, whether we're professionals in the field or not. So privacy professionals at the end of the day are the guardians of that personal data. So tax implications, privacy, security, all valid challenges to consider for companies that take the all remote stance. But what else? Well, how about trust? So many companies, again, they weren't used to this way of working. To them, being in the office meant that you were working, quote unquote. When people were working from home pre-COVID, they sort of viewed that as, you know, likely an off day, almost a vacation day. So now that everybody was working from home, some companies assumed that their employees' productivity was just tanking. Which maybe wasn't true at all, but that's the point of view that some took. In this Today Show segment, they talk about this along with what companies are doing about that. For many Americans, working from home is now more feasible than ever. One recent survey showing 58% of respondents say they can work remotely at least one day a week, with 35% having the option to work from home the entire week. And with more people operating outside of the office, some companies are stepping up worker tracking or so-called tattleware or surveillance software. That is, supervisors monitoring daily activities through company-issued devices, including keyboard usage, screen time, clicks, and more. I would definitely leave that company um, and try to go seek a job elsewhere. If it was a company I really admired and worked for, I wouldn't be bothered by it. A recent New York Times investigation found eight of the 10 largest private employers in the U.S. tracked the productivity metrics of their workers, many of them in real time, leading to many employees being subject to scores, trackers, idle buttons and more, which can lead to lost wages and in some cases even terminations, according to the Times. Earlier this year, we chatted with business ethics professor J.S. Nelson, who told us people working somewhere with more than 500 employees should be on high alert. Definitely need to think about being photographed, uh, listening through your microphone, um, keystroke logging software. So recording what you are typing at any given time, what websites you're going to, who you're communicating with. OK, can we just take a minute? and think about what's actually happening here. If we feel like we can't trust our employees, why do we even hire these employees in the first place? I mean, if you legitimately feel like your employees aren't being productive and you have to do things like record them while they're working remotely or using key tracking software, I feel like it says more about you as a hiring manager than it does about your employees. Yeah, it definitely feels pretty draconian if I'm being honest. And there's a lot more to get into here. First, though, we should take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
Okay, before the break, we were talking about how COVID-19 brought along the rise of the remote workforce. Remote tech work has been happening long before COVID, but it wasn't until the spring of 2020 when the entire tech world was thrust into a remote-first work life. And for some, like Airbnb, they saw it as a unique opportunity. But for others, well, they just assumed their employees were slacking off at home and literally even tracking their keystrokes and turning on their webcams at random intervals just to prove that they were there working. Which is kind of nuts. I mean, it's not kindergarten, right? This is the business world. Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, again, you don't trust that your employees are actually working. Why did you hire these employees <laughs> in the first place? Anyway, by 2022, it became clear that COVID-19, well, thankfully, we were getting past that emergency nature of it. I mean, COVID-19 was still around and still around today. I have a few friends that just got COVID recently, but vaccines have been out for years. Most people, when they do get COVID now, thankfully, they recover relatively quickly. Right. And because we've mostly been past the emergency nature of COVID-19 for a while, technically, people can go back to the office. But do they want to go back to the office? Well, some definitely not. They've grown accustomed to the flexibility that working from home can bring. And they've learned that they're actually more productive. In this CNN segment from a year ago, CNN business correspondent Vanessa Yurkovich asked workers what would happen if your company asked you to go back to the office five days a week. Let's hear what they had to say. What would your immediate reaction be to that? Like, oh, no. <laughs> it's a feeling many Americans may be having. About 56% of full-time U.S. employees, more than 70 million workers, say they can do their job from home. But companies like Goldman Sachs, Tesla, Bank of America, and Morgan Stanley are requiring employees to return to the office full-time. They're feeling very confident about, you know, it's back to school, it's back to the office, it's back to reality. About six and a half percent of employees in the U.S. were teleworking last month, fewer than in July, a sign that some workers could be getting called back in. Hey, we did a good job. For attorney Jessica Carroll, the prospect of going into the office full time again would be a challenge. You've kind of gotten used to this hybrid work from home experience. It would be hard to just go from what it is now to five days. It's kind of like ripping off the Band-Aid. Like most, Carol was in the office every day in early 2020. It was pretty demanding. Then COVID hit. She had a newborn and changed jobs. A hybrid schedule was important, where she could be on a conference call and still pick up her older kids after school. The mother of three says so far, her new firm has been flexible. Having people in the office and more available by person rather than by phone is something that they encourage, but there's no strict policy. After over two years working from home, some companies have fully embraced it. This summer, Yelp announced it would close offices in three major cities after just 1% of employees voluntarily returned in person. But some jobs can't be done remotely. There are moments in our work where it's really important to be in person. Bottom Line is a not-for-profit organization that helps lower-income high school students get into college. 80% of its 140 employees have in-person jobs and started their return to office this summer. Did you face any resistance from staff? I think there was trepidation across the board. Did you lose anybody along the way? <laughs> I'm sure we lost a few who, for them, the decision to, to be back in the office wasn't the right decision. So many people want that flexibility, but 
many companies, they want people back in the office. I mean, that segment was from a year ago, but more and more, you're seeing companies asking employees to come back bit by bit for the companies that were saying, hey, we'd like you in the office, you know, one to two days a week. Now they're saying it's more like three or four or maybe even 100% of the time. That includes companies like Google, which has been taking steps to ensure their workers are back in the office. Here's a segment from CNBC with more on Google's approach. Google will begin tracking worker badge data and include office attendance in performance reviews to get everyone in line. So will more companies start embracing similar tough tactics to try to snuff out remote work? Joining us now is Yale University lecturer Joanne Littman and founder and CEO of Nationwide Staffing and recruiting firm LaSalle Network's Tom Gimbel. Thank you both. You know, Joanne, uh, Google, you know, don't be evil. Like we're the nice. You wonder, like, is that like a reminder or their slogan? This is tough tactics by Google. That's supposed to be all warm and fuzzy. Well, look, I mean, at this point, we know we know why organizations like Google want you back in the office. Right. There is actually an argument for that. The serendipity factor is real. We know that Zoom is a creativity killer. There's been a Columbia Business School study, among others, that show that when we brainstorm over Zoom, it just doesn't work in the same way. And we you know, we know, look, I am a believer that you need some of that serendipitous meetings in the office. But I have to say, Brian, I, I do think that this kind of hard knuckled brass knuckle move could really backfire because too often these mandates that you must be in the office, they seem completely arbitrary to employees. And there's a, you know, employees are like, why? That's a really good question and a fair question. To employees out there who are seeing return to the office mandates, they're looking back and saying, look, we've made it work for the last three years. So why now? Some of these companies might say, well, because it actually hasn't worked well for the last three years. In this segment from TED, organizational design expert Mark Mortensen talks about some of the data related to the period of time when most of the world was working from home. Data shows around the world that people's working hours have increased. And many say that they actually find it harder to delineate work life boundaries. Data also shows that the experience wasn't the same for everyone, with The Economist data showing that parents of school-aged children experienced much greater stress than many others. And data from Microsoft shows that it's actually even changing the way in which we work, with people working more hours but less collaboratively. The question of whether we can effectively work remotely needs a contextual answer. Contextual based on the people who are doing the work and the tasks that they're trying to accomplish. Remember, one size fits none. And we need to think about the sustainability of our effectiveness. So has it really worked well these last couple of years? In a way, Mortensen's answer is it depends. It depends. Look, there's a lot more to unpack here, but let's take one more quick break. And when we're back, we'll get into even more. Before the break, we learned about how the working world changed with COVID-19. The global pandemic forced the tech world into being a remote first workforce, which many employees grew accustomed to. But most employers, while they supported it at first, and some are even champions of that approach and still are, many others, maybe even most at this point are saying, okay, look, it's time to get back to the office. And Mark Mortensen, who we heard from before the break, sort of makes an argument for both workers and employers on whether remote work works. He points out that everybody functions differently. Take, for instance, 
the working parent. On one hand, remote work is great because it offers them the kind of flexibility that they need in their life, the flexibility that allows them to pick up their kids from school, for instance. You can't do that when you're in an office. No. On the other hand, though, as a working parent myself who works remotely, I definitely enjoy that flexibility for sure. But I can tell you that when I'm working from home and my two kids who are seven and 11, if they're also at home, it's definitely not the most productive time for me. And it's probably the most stressful time for me. I mean, I always joke that my two kids' favorite pastime is just messing with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, mediating a fight among siblings when you're trying to do some deep work, it's not really a good mix. And that right there would probably be a point for employers to say, see, that worker isn't being very productive. Get them back in the office. That's true, but... Do you remember Peter from Office Space? Let me replay part of that quote one more time that we saw in that initial scene. We were to space out for about an hour. Space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk, but it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work working and they're actually productive. The motivated employees, they're going to be working no matter where they're at. The unmotivated ones won't be productive no matter where they're at. It all depends on the person. Well, Jenna McGregor of Forbes would agree with that. She's a senior editor and through her work at Forbes, she did research on productivity for remote workers. Let's cut to the segment from Forbes with more on this. You're hearing from CEOs over and over again with these fairly opinion-driven statements about work from home. Um, and we wanted to do, they're, they're kind of coalescing around four themes. Productivity is getting worse. Creativity is not as good if people are not in the office. Mentorship is suffering. And our culture is getting worse. And is that really true? And so one of the biggest ones, as you asked about, is, is productivity. You're hearing um, a lot of debate. And there's been a lot of headlines recently that productivity is is. CEOs are worried their productivity is declining because people are working from home. And when you look at the data, it's really a mixed bag and it comes with all kinds of caveats. There's some data that says people who work entirely from home, never in person, that there are some slight productivity declines, about 10 to 20 percent. But those are looking at very specific groups of workers. They were looking during the pandemic when people had a lot more going on. And they, they're very hard to extrapolate. Also, most of us do see each other in person, whether it's at an offsite or once or twice a week or in some capacity. And that data actually shows relatively flat numbers. So really no hit to productivity or maybe um, a boost in some cases. So all in all, the data doesn't actually show drastic differences. Those working 100% remote may be slightly less productive, slightly. Those working in a hybrid format, they may actually be a bit more productive than those who are in the office five days a week. It's a little bit of a different story than what we hear from, you know, CEOs and talking heads when they talk about what people need to come back to the office. The truth is, again, it probably just depends on the person on whether or not they're more or less productive. Right. I definitely agree with that. But I will say this, as somebody who's worked fully in the office and 
now for the last, oh, seven years or so fully remote, there are downsides to remote work life. Okay. Why don't you expand on that? Well, I've already mentioned some of them, right? At least for me personally, just as a working dad, there can be more anxiety, especially if the kids are home and you're working. Uh, in our household, you know, we consider summer day camps and aftercare a necessity. You know, we, we pay money for that. And my wife and I both work from home a considerable amount of time and we need to be working, right? So when the kids are home, it's, it's not that productive. So um, we do, you know, I don't even want to say splurge on things like the camps and aftercare. In our house, it's a necessity. But when you're working from home 100% of the time, it is also a lot harder to turn things sort of on and off. Yeah, no, I I totally know what you mean. And look, there's also been those times when you have a rough day at work and, you know, that commute home can actually be really important to decompress a bit. And then you arrive home and you're in a totally different environment. You're ready to be with the family. You've shut off work. But when you're working remote, especially at home, as opposed to, say, other workplaces, you don't have that. Work ends and you're just home. Right. Maybe you carry the stress of that day with you right into the living room, right into the dinner table. And it's hard to to get that context switch that you properly need. Yeah, exactly. That's one reason for me personally why I also subscribe to a local co-working space. And I go there pretty often, not necessarily every day and not even all day when I do go. But it gives me some separation from my home space, which for my mental health, I think is a really good thing. I will say that there is a benefit for creative purposes to being surrounded by the people you're working with, too. When you're not surrounded by your coworkers physically, it's a lot harder to brainstorm, right? You do lose out on those spontaneous kind of hallway interactions that sometimes can be incredibly valuable, stuff that's nearly impossible to do well on Zoom. Yeah, I don't know that anybody has ever talked about how awesome it is to brainstorm on <laughs> Zoom. I think most people are, are a little Zoomed out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this brings us to now and the future. Where will things go? Is remote work dead? Are we all going back to the office fully, 100%? Are we going into the metaverse? <laughs> well, based on everything we've talked about, I still say... No, you know, I, I kind of see this hybrid future. I see the benefits of being back in the office, but I still contend that for some people, they work better out of the office. So again, just kind of depends on the person. Which makes this all incredibly complicated. Yeah, definitely. But look, Rocket Ship listeners, we didn't say we would solve this giant <laughs> world problem. We just said that we would talk about it. It's a complicated issue for sure. Maybe we should go back to that organizational expert from that tech segment. Does he have the answers? Well, let's see. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't have the answer to this. And honestly, anybody who tells you they do, they're trying to sell you something. Well, I thought he was going to have the answer. Shoot. <laughs> well, at least we're not alone, but he does go on a bit more, and it's probably a good way to sort of end this episode. Remember here is that organizational culture is a long game. What we do right now affects the social fabric of our organizations and will have repercussions down the line. So when it comes to the social fabric, we need to think not only about today, but about tomorrow, next month, maybe even next year. So no answers really, no silver bullets, but we are at this crossroads. The decisions we make right now about our workforce culture, the ripple effects are probably going to be felt down the road for years, maybe even decades. Well, that will wrap things up for today. For Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. <laughs>